Numbers in the Old Testament. We're going to be reading Numbers chapter 13, beginning with verse 17. If you don't know Coach and Janine Devaney, who were featured in our video, uh, you'll need to get to know them at some point. They were in their early service. Uh, Coach played basketball for Auburn University and uh, also coached basketball uh, here and around the state uh, for many years, and uh, they are an inspiration. Uh, Janine, as you know, is one you may have seen her. She's in a wheelchair, but uh, never has stopped them from seeking to serve and always being here. They were the when we opened back up in May, uh, they were the very first ones who they were here at church. So we appreciate them. They're talking about our faith commitment campaign. We are having faith commitment Sunday this coming week. We're supposed to have it back in March, but as you know, because of all the things that happened in the pandemic, we put that off. But uh, we are seeking to pay down our debt. Uh, to have be debt-free before 23 has kind of been our saying, and we want to encourage you to participate uh, if you have not already. Many may already have made their commitments uh, from that. Back when we put the team together about a year, year and a half ago, we owed $1.3 million, and so that has been our goal. But since then, many have already made commitments. Many have already started giving or were giving, plus what's come across now. We owe less than $800,000, but our goal is still one point three, so that we might be able to be debt-free before 23 and be able to invest in other projects and the vision that the Lord has for the church. So next Sunday, we want to encourage you to be looking for that. Hopefully by now, if you're a member of Parkway, we know we always have guests with us, but if you're a member of Parkway, or you're listening online, that surely this is no surprise to you because we've sent lots of material out, been talking about it. And now, at least for a commitment Sunday, that is coming. We're in the midst of 40 days of prayer this Thursday night. We're having a prayer service about our commitment at 6 o'clock, both in person and live stream. So we encourage you to be a part one way or the other. But uh, uh, we also encourage you to be praying about your giving. We're going to have a unique way next Sunday in which we're going to kind of uh, be expressing our commitments in worship. And as we do that, we're going to kind of keep a running tally of commitments that we've made so far and at least throughout the day's uh, 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 next Sunday and so you want to be a part of that thank you so much Aaron and our praise band for leading us in worship and we thank you for uh, leading us to this point know that this is a always a special day every time we have come together it is not the biggest crowd we've ever had obviously but a great kind of cozy time of worship that we can be together we know the Lord wants to use even this day to be able to speak to each one of us we're in Numbers chapter 13 we're going to read a little bit more extended passage maybe than we have, but hope that you'll keep your Bibles open. Listen along as we read together. Beginning with verse 17, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negeb, go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, or whether the cities they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Lebohamath. They came, went to the Negev, came to Hebron, Amahan, Seshai, Talmai, and the descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. They came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. And the place was called the Valley of Eshko because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. They came to Moses and Aaron, 
and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word today. You may want to keep your Bibles open as we look closer at a couple of these verses and maybe some of the surrounding verses there as well. There, some of you remember or perhaps you've heard of Newt Rotney, who was the longtime coach of Notre Dame some years ago. And uh, it was during that time that there was a sports writer, sports columnist, who was known to be some of, one of the harshest, maybe meanest, at least by the use of this pen, sports writers around. In fact, he would write about Notre Dame football. And he would talk bad about the players and talk about the players that missed. Uh, he's an anonymous sports writer. Nobody knew his name, but he'd write about players who weren't trying, those who were lazy, those who missed the tackles. And week after week after week, he'd call out players and pretty mean about it. Players complained to Coach Rockney. Coach said, well, you know, there's not much I can do about what a sports writer writes. He said, best thing that you can do is to go out and play the best you can and to prove him wrong. Years later, it was found out that the anonymous sports writer was none other than Coach Newt Rockney himself, who had written, who knew the players better. And he'd written an ingenious way in order to get his team to be able to play better. We have before us today, we've read a pretty large portion of God's holy word. Every time we come to God's word, we recognize that it reveals more and more about us some things that may not be that easy to hear, some of the things that we need to be changed, but also that we might be more like Christ. You know, the Lord has a great plan for you and has a great plan for me, great plan for our church, which includes that we enjoy the inheritance that the Lord has for us, which means that we might be able to work with Him in the kingdom even here and now, and so that we might be a part of His great plan. And He wants us to be a part of that plan. But one of the great tragedies of the modern church today are Christians who are genuinely saved but are living, living barren, unfruitful lives and have no direction spiritually. Thus their spiritual pilgrimage is to wander aimlessly in a barren wilderness. One of the reasons for this is because we don't, don't take advantage of the opportunities God gives us to step out on faith. For in every Christian's life there is a time and there are many times in which the Lord brings us to a place in which He wants us to step out on faith, in which He wants us to serve Him, and we want, wants us to be obedient. But we find instead too many obstacles to keep us from doing and following the journey and the mission that God has for us. The tragedy is that many, maybe even most Christians, 
turn and walk the other way and live barren and at the most mediocre Christian lives when God's calling us to a higher level. Hopefully today you've come into this place and because you're here, you can find out that God is calling you to a higher level of living to grow in faith as we understand every Christian is called to be a light to the world for Jesus. In Numbers 13 that we're reading, it's been two years since Moses stood before Pharaoh and said, Let my people go. Maybe interesting, it's been two years because it's been about six months that we've been a part of this uh, actual this sermon series in which we talked about Moses standing before Pharaoh and said, Let my people go. But we're continuing to learn what it means to escape from living like the world or being slaves to Christ. Now we find the Israelites, they're camped at the south border of the promised land or sometimes called the land of Canaan in a place that's called Kadesh Barnea, sometimes simply known as Kadesh. Now, before we go further, let's make sure that we understand what Canaan or what the promised land represents. It does not represent heaven, as some hymn writer sometimes suggests. The promised land represents our inheritance with Christ as our Lord and the work that He has for us as we serve Him and spread the gospel to the rest of the world. Twelve spies we read just a moment ago were sent in, one from each tribe to check out the land. And that was the first mistake because they didn't really need to go out and spy out the land because God had already told them that it was a fruitful land. He had already told them that there were people there that He would drive out for them and that they would dwell into the land. But we're told in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 20 and 23, that the people came out to Moses asking, Let us explore the land. Let us check it out for ourselves. And God allowed it. Here's a warning. Sometimes God gives us what we want when it would be better off otherwise. They'd been better off not exploring the land and simply trusting God. Kadesh Barnea, where they were, it was to be the launching out place. It was to be the launch for them to be able to go into the promised land, but it would not be so. We want to know often maybe what the future holds, what tomorrow is going to bring. There's lots of unanswered questions of what's going to be happening, particularly in this year of 2020. Yet we know that also that we need to trust God. And God already knows the future even when we don't. So how important this passage is for us today. However, God allowed the spies to go into the land to get a taste of the promised land, see the people living in the land. But the spying out of the land, it did something else. It revealed the hearts and the condition of their hearts of the spies, like the Scripture does for us. It revealed their weaknesses and their mistakes, although it did reveal the courage in the faith of the two, Joshua and Caleb. I believe through Scripture and through our own experience, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, that you've been able to taste what it is to live in what we might call the promised land, what we might call an abundant living. We've at least tasted, we've seen it in Scripture. You, you've tasted your experience with the Lord Jesus, to know what it is to walk with Him, to be able to be a part of the work that He is doing, to be a part of being a witness for others. Yet so many times we've turned and we've chosen to go the other way. This morning you have an opportunity to be able to choose. In fact, as we talk about this passage today, we're going to look at three ways believers choose to live as the people of God. Just, just so we're clear as we talk about these, two of these are not good. One is going to be the way to go. But even as believers, there are those of us who choose. You can choose to live by fear. You can choose to live by 
fear. The 12 spies went to the land of Canaan for 40 days. They searched it thoroughly. They went from the extreme north to the south where they were staying south of the promised land. All 12 spies saw the same thing and up to a point they all reported the same thing. Ten of the spies report, interpreted what they saw differently from the other two and it revealed what was in their heart. And they brought back with them one cluster of grapes that it took two men to carry it on a pole. And they all said, look at the fruit. The land is rich with milk and honey, which is what had been told about a land and euphemism for that the land was good, probably also a reference to the fact that it was good for growing and maybe good for cattle and grazing and those sorts of things. Then they said the word that revealed what was in their heart. If you got your Bibles open, look at verse 28 of Numbers 13. And it says the word in the King James or the New King James, it says, Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. Some translations begin with but, others we read from the English Standard Version earlier about however. So many Christians have tasted what it is to walk with Jesus. They've at least been painted a picture of what it means to be able to be a part of kingdom work and to be able to serve Him. But instead of following, they have nevertheless seen that the obstacles are too great and they have turned and walked away. Twelve spies that were sent in, ten were spies were looking with physical eyes and not their spiritual eyes. Well, they said in verse 31 reveals also what was in their heart when they said, We are not able to go. You know that everything that ten of the twelve spies said so far was correct. They did not even lie. Not even the part they said where they were not able because they were not able. First of all, they were not able because they did not believe. They were looking at things from an earthly perspective. They painted a picture here for the rest of the Israelites. In fact, they changed their story a little bit. They all said, yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And then they said, well, maybe so, but it's a land that devours its inhabitants. Maybe saying that it was not a land too tough to grow anything to produce. Then they painted a picture for them about the people. There were descendants of Anak were said to be giants. Giants in the land. Well, how big were these giants? I mean, were they the fee-fi-fo-fum type of giants, or were they more like basketball player type of giants? Well, some hundred years later, David would face one of the giants. You remember how tall he was? He was about nine foot and nine inches. So he probably was a giant of the giants, so maybe they weren't quite that big. But they were frightened, and even if the land is good, the people are bad news. Now, look, let's not kid ourselves. Particularly in the day and time in which we live, there are obstacles out there to living like Christ, to being a witness for Him, particularly this year in 2020. And our fears magnify the difficulties even greater in their view. Ten of the spies saw the giants, felt like grasshoppers, but forgot about God. And they said, we are not able. They also were not able because they were right, because they could not do it without God. Jesus said in John 15, 5, He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. When we understand the cost of following Jesus, it can be fearful. We may face spiritual battles we would not normally face, difficulties in our future, persecutions. Jesus said if you're following Him would be inevitable. Now, most of us, are, at least in our day and time, in our culture here in America, we're not fearful of losing our lives if we follow Jesus. No, we, 
we're just fearful maybe of maybe feeling uncomfortable if we really follow Jesus or maybe the Lord's going to ask us to sacrifice something. But let me ask you, if, does following Jesus closely, does it scare you at all? Well, it probably should. Why, how do you overcome those fears? You can replace the fears of this world with the proper respect and holy fear of God. If you got your Bibles open to Numbers chapter 13, would you go to number 16 for just a moment? Here's an episode, kind of a strange, different kind of episode in the life of what's happening with Moses and the Israelites. Not long after this event, three men rallied a group together and complained and challenged Moses' authority. In fact, if you look at Numbers chapter 16, verse 3 through 5, it says, They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show you who he is and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses he will bring near to him. Now we have three guys who are challenging once again, complaining, and they're going to challenge Moses' authority. There's nothing new about that. But Moses warned them what they were saying. And he even went and pleaded with the Lord about all those who were being led astray. Go ahead and look, if you would, at verse 23 and following. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart. Please, from the tents of these wicked men, touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abram, and Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the door of the tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all this works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, if they're visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me, but the Lord creates something new. If He creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up, and all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as He finished speaking all the words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up. And their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods, so they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed, closed over them and they perish from the midst of the assembly. Oh, what a solemn passage for those who were not following God. This happened just after the events of where they come to Kadesh. They were still there. Just after they said, we're too scared to go into the promised land. But the problem was not necessarily just that they were scared of the people who were in the promised land, in the land of Canaan. It's that they did not fear God enough so our problem sometimes is not just that we're scared to do this or scared to do that but sometimes we don't have enough or the proper holy fear of God well whenever we come across a patches like this in number 16 we need to understand and be sure to look at it in the right perspective because we understand that those of us who are in Christ that is we have Christ dwelling in us we have no need to fear this kind of judgment because Jesus took the judgment for us when He went to the cross for us. 
So you come across like this, passage like this in the Old Testament, you think, well, what do I do with this? Well, you're thankful that because of Jesus that we need not fear this. Yet, nevertheless, we are to have the fear of the Lord. Cited in the Bible as the beginning of wisdom, obedience as the proper attitude toward God. Steve Farrar, in his book, Anchorman, defines the fear of God as a reverential awe that makes us want to live in obedience to God. Robert Jeffers is the pastor of First Baptist Dallas. He's writer of the book Courageous, one of the studies we're doing on Wednesday night. He said, to fear God means to have a healthy respect for God's power and a reverence for God's holiness that results in the reordering of our behavior. Jesus often talked about the holy fear of God in the Gospels. In Matthew 10, 28, He said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus was talking about those things that, would be, that we fear, that would keep us from living openly for Him and being God's witness. Ought to re replace that fear with respect for God, but encouraged to obey and confess Jesus for others. In fact, even the writer of Proverbs said, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. But not only can you choose to live by fear, you can choose to live by following. Some people are following crowds. Robert Roland Lovell in his book Evangelism, Christ Imperative Commission, stated in the average church, let's see if we can have those up there, stated in the average church, 5% do not exist. 10% cannot be found. 20% never pray. 25% never read their Bible. 30% never attend church services. 40% never give any money to the church. 50% never go to Sunday school. 60% never go to church except on Sunday morning. 70% never give to missions. 80% never go to prayer meetings or prayer service. 90% never have a family worship. And 95% never win a soul to Christ, which means... Maybe only 5%. First of all, I believe that we have a, not an average church, but an above-average church. But if this is right, in average churches, that means only 5% are fulfilling the mission of the church. So if you're going to follow the crowd, well, you're not going to be fulfilling the mission that the Lord has for you. We want to be able to follow and do all that the Lord has, has for us. We realize following may not always be bad if you're following the right people doing the right stuff. Being a Christian has lots of blessings and lots of responsibilities. In fact, Paul said in Ephesians 3.14 that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning and craftiness of deceitful plotting. The Israelites, for the most part, they always seemed to be followers. They followed Moses out of Egypt, and certainly that was good. When others complained, it seemed that they all complained. When they all sang the song after they... Uh, parting the Red Sea, and they made their way through the Red Sea, they all sang. But then later they would all be together worshiping the golden calf at the bottom of the mountain. They followed, weren't so much concerned what was right or wrong, but what was everybody else doing? Each person would go from following, hailing the name of Moses to wanting to stone him if that's the way the crowd was going. They go from worshiping and praising God to wishing that they were dead in Egypt if that's the way the tide changed. I believe that if there are Spies would report it oppositely in this passage that 10 of the spies would say, let's go into the land. They would have said, let's roll. Now, 
as Baptists, we like to vote on things, and it's kind of a majority rules kind of thing, although we like to believe that God rules and we follow His direction. But you know, in lots of churches, not in this church, but I, we, lots of churches, there are those people that I would call the cantankerous saints. And uh, not here at Parkway, you understand, but there'd be those who simply just never seem to be happy. If everybody's voting for it, they're going to vote against it. I remember being in one business meeting to where one of these cantankerous saints voted against the very motion in which he brought forth. Well, listen, which means what? Maybe he was just doing that because he didn't want to follow the crowd, which means we're not necessarily worried about is this what the crowd doing or is it not what the crowd is doing? We want to be worried about what would please God, what makes him happy. When church members go from being attenders and being obedient witnesses and ministers, it's then that we realize that we're expected to discover and do God's will and follow Him and not follow the world. The Lord has continued to bless this church in many ways. We've continued to add to our congregation even in the midst of the pandemic. We continue to have guests. And if we look back we before the pandemic, we kind of had a steady flow of new members and guests. And a lot of times as we talk about, we, you know, we think, well, we sure would like to go back to the way things were. And there's nothing wrong with talking like that, I guess, but maybe for a church, what it is, and for as believers, what we want to do is we want to go forward. As Israelites come to this place to where they're at the Kadesh Barnea, what should be a launching off pad, they wanted to go backward. But let us not go backward, but let us instead, let us go forward. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment a group of church people that are beginning to seek to follow God in ways in which they've not done before, seeking His face, coming together and all wanting to serve, all wanting to give of their resources so that we might be able to increase our ministries, do all the things that the Lord would have us to do. Want to be a part of kingdom building uh, that reaches not only inside the church but outside the church, not only in our own community but around the world. Every day seeking to be a light to others and pointing other people to Jesus and hoping to make gospel conversations. Boy, when that happens, we don't go from where we were before, which was adding to the kingdom, but instead we go to multiplying. Multiplying the kingdom and being a part of what God uh, would have us to be. Do you wish that people flocked to the church to hear the preacher? Well, I hear it happens sometimes in some churches, but let's face it here. I mean, you get what you get. It is what it is. Nobody's going to put this face on a satellite TV to be seen around the country, the state, or even in Lee County. But oh, how the Lord might want to honor a people who are seeking to be obedient to Him. We need people who take a stand, do what's right, not because it's popular, everyone else is, but because it's right. Then if the Lord chooses, He can give you great success in whatever you seek to do for Him. What happened to these Israelites? Well, you know the story. They're sent back in the wilderness for 40 years. All the adults die in the wilderness except for Joshua and Caleb. It's the longest funeral march in history. And God told Moses what would happen, and Moses told the people. Quickly, I want to tell you, we'll learn from this scripture, three things that will keep you in a spiritual wilderness. In other words, if you do these things, you're going to continue to live a mediocre Christian life. Notice chapter 14 and verse 1. Still got your Bibles open, chapter 14 and verse 1. Also, I think these will be on the screen. It says, Then the congregation raised a loud cry, and the People wept that night, and the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, 
or would that we had died in the wilderness living a defeated life and not, and not a life of victory will keep you in the wilderness. The pessimism, discouragement of the ten spread till all the nation wept and complained and wished they were dead. Worse, they were dead. For us, in Christ, the victory has already been won. We've seen the last page. The last battle is assured. You can hold your head high. Look at verse 3, if you would, of chapter 14. It says, What? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Failing to believe God's promises will keep you living in a spiritual wilderness. They've been promised already. The land was flowing with milk and honey. They promised already they would live in that land that the Lord would defeat all the inhabitants, all their enemies, yet they failed to believe. I find it interesting that they used their children to say why they were not going to go forward. These would be the very children who would be the ones who 40 years later would go and conquer the people. Let me encourage you, don't use your children. Don't use your family as reason not to follow, as excuse not to follow God. Don't you know God cares more about your children, cares more about your family? He's thinking about them much more than you are. When we have a problem walking with Jesus, it's a belief problem. Numbers 14 and verse 4 says this, And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader, let us go back to Egypt. Continuing to hang on to sin will keep you in a spiritual wilderness. Egypt has also almost always been synonymous with living in sin. Too many Christians still want to live like they did before they met Jesus. Thus they, thus they spend life in a spiritual wilderness. Some are saved but fail to enjoy the fruits and blessings of a close fellowship with Christ. Is there sin that you're hanging on to today? Is there something that you need to confess or turn over to the Lord? Until you do, you'll continue to live at best a mediocre Christian life and not be able to enjoy the fruits of spirit-filled living. But in order to go forward in Christ's name, you must confess and give that sin over to Christ. Believe His promises and trust Him. So, you could choose how to live. Now, we spent a lot of time on our first two, and those are the things that you don't need to choose. Let's be sure that we talk about that, what you need to choose. You can choose to live by faith. There were three that lived by faith among the Israelites. There was Moses. There was Caleb, who said in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we're well able to overcome it. Joshua said, along with Caleb and Chapter 14, if the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land. For us to go forward in Christ's name, it takes faith. Boy, I'm throwing a lot of Scripture out at you, maybe faster than it can get up on the screen, but that's okay. But remember Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith it's impossible to please God. Romans chapter 14 and verse 23 says, for whatever is not of faith is sin. D.L. Moody once said, Real faith is man's weakness leaning on God's strength. An, an applicant was uh, an applicant, a tall applicant was filling out an application for a lifeguard position. The very last question on the application said, "What other qualifications would lend you to this job?" And he wrote down. He said, "Depth of pool six foot six inches. Depth of applicant six foot seven inches." God's always bigger than your biggest obstacle. 
But I want you to hear me. We've got a couple of minutes left, and I want you to hear this. I don't want you to lose what's about to be said here because I don't think I have to convince you today that God's bigger than your biggest obstacle or that God is big. I think the Israelites knew that God was big. He brought them from slavery in Egypt. He's with them for those two years in the wilderness. Lots of things have happened. You've seen things happen, yet they still had obstacles that they thought were too big. I think the problem was, and the problem maybe is for some of us today, but the problem is that perhaps our purpose or our objectives are too small. Our purpose or objectives need to be so big that regardless of the problems that come our way, they're going to be small. Think about it for the Israelites. What were the objectives for the Israelites? Well, it seemed to be safety and security for their families, but that was way too small. What should have been their objective? Their objective was to glorify God, to live in the land, and to be a light to the nations. What are your objectives? What is, it, what is your purpose? What is it that you think that you need to accomplish? Get the most out of life? Health and safety? Take care of you and yours? Well, if those sound correct, I'm telling you today, those are way too small. Thus, your problems are always going to be too big. However, if you decide to make your objectives larger, a little more God-sized, such as everything that you do, you want to glorify God no matter what. Such as you want to be a part of kingdom building that lasts long beyond your life and long beyond what's going to take place on earth. Or such as you want to point as many people to Jesus as you can regardless. Then, well, your giants will not seem too big. No obstacle will overwhelm. I mean... You're going to face battles anyway. You might as well face them with a bigger God-sized objective. Those who live by fear say we are not able. Those who live by following the crowd say let's go back. Those who live by faith say we are more than able if the Lord delights in us. The Israelites are an example of missed opportunities. They were told in this chapter that we read, they're told that now... God told Moses, Moses told the people, now you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a day for every day in which the, a year for every day that the spies were there in the promised land spying out the land. What, what will keep you from missing the opportunities God has for you? What will keep our church from missing the opportunities God has for us? It's being obedient and being on mission for Christ right now that allows God to do His work. Take advantage of those opportunities that you have around you right now. Now, you miss a business opportunity? Well, maybe another one comes along. You miss an opportunity that the Lord gives. There is no guarantee. But what has God called you to do? He's giving you a glimpse of what living with Him, of what the abundant living, what the victorious Christian living looks like. He's giving you a glimpse of that. Even as Christians, we choose to follow or not to follow, to be obedient or not, to be a witness or not. Well, here's a warning. Step out on faith when God calls. Otherwise, more opportunities are not assured. God's going to bring you to Gadesh Barnea. He's going to bring you to a jumping-off point, launching point. And you're going to have to decide, are you going to step out on faith? Lord's going to bring our church to that place once again. He has many times before. 
We don't, if you don't take advantage of it, you don't know that that opportunity will come again. It may be you're thinking, well, I've already lost that opportunity. or lost many opportunities where the Lord's called me to do something or wants me to do something. Maybe there's not another opportunity. But I'm telling you, because you're here today, because you're listening today, i tell you, this is a chance at another opportunity. Will you say yes to the Lord and follow Him in faith? Will you say yes to the Lord and be ready to step out as He asks you to follow Him in a direction maybe that you haven't gone before, to keep going in the direction that the Lord would have you to go? Would you say yes to the Lord Jesus maybe for the first time if you've never followed Him in salvation, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? You've heard about Jesus because we've talked about Him here today. There are many that know about Jesus, maybe know any, even many facts and things about the Bible. But then there are many that do not know Him personally. But you can call on Jesus today. You can say yes by faith, asking Christ to come in to be your Savior and Lord. He will forgive you of your sins. He'll be assure you of a home in heaven. And He'll walk with you today. And He wants to give you a victorious Christian living. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day you've made. We thank you for this opportunity to be able to read your word, to be able to lift up prayers, be able to lift up praise. We pray, Father, because we know your presence in this, in this place. We pray, Father, that we might be alert to how you're speaking to us today. If there's one that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. For we don't know there'll be another opportunity even after today. We pray, Father, also that we will take advantage of the opportunities around us when you ask us, Father, to step out on faith. Individually, we pray, Father, and know that you're going to ask us to follow you even more closely. We pray that we'll be ready to do that. We pray, Father, for our church, believing even in 2020 with all the things that are happening today that you're calling on us, Father, to step out on faith and follow you. We pray that we'll do that. We pray, Father, that we will see your vision that you have for us, what you'd have for us to do in the future, and we will have willing hearts. May today the Scripture reveal our heart. Help us to see where it needs to be changed, and you change us. In Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen. Would you please stand?